Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and I've got two very special guests on this week's episode as we near ever so closely to the MLB trade deadline. First, I'm joined by Darby Robinson. Darby, I know you were on the last episode of Raise Your Voice, but I guess you did such a good job that uh, welcome you back again. What's going on? Ah, thank you uh, very much for having me back. The fans demanded it. We saw dozens of emails uh, <laughs> and tweets, and so I'm happy to be back. I think like uh, we need to have like the SNL Golden Jacket like for Raise Your Voice guests. Like the five yeah, I'm club. in the five. I'm in the five timers club now, so I, I expect a nice gold smoking jacket any day. <laughs> and making his raise your voice debut, uh, one of the newest contributors to DRaceBay.com. But you guys probably know him on Twitter, and uh, it's Elijah Fluellen. Elijah, what's going on? How we doing, Brand? Everything's good, man. Just anxiously waiting the trade deadlines. One of my favorite times of the year. So, All right. well, we're gonna get to talk about the trade deadline and a lot more. Uh, but first, the Rays have already made a trade. David Peralta acquired from Arizona in exchange for a 19-year-old catching prospect, Christian Serda, who was having a pretty good season down in the complex league, but uh, was nowhere close to being a, a Rays top 30 prospect anytime soon, um, given his age and kind of just how you know how he's been brought up as a prospect and uh, definitely nowhere near a top 100 list because David Peralta, he is a rental. He is on the last year. Of his deal, he's making $8 million this year, so the Rays will pay, I don't know, $3 million of that for the rest of the season. Um, Peralta, left-handed hitting outfielder, made his Rays debut today, went one for four, slotted in, in in left field that pushed Randy Rosarena to right field. Guys, I'm just getting curious. Instant reaction to that trade and, and adding David Peralta to this Rays team. I, I think this is the exact type of move that I, I really want to see the Rays make. And a lot of, and I want to see a couple more moves in this same vein, right? You're either your cheaper multiple years of control or fairly low risk rentals just to improve the, the floor of the team, right? You know, you have a lot of guys, a lot of impact players that are injured right now uh, that you hope will be back this year in Wander Franco, Manny Margot and Harold Ramirez. But right now you're just you're having to use guys that that are good role players, but you're having them use them every day. So you get a guy like David Peralta, and that allows you to just add another professional, another veteran, a uh, guy who's been around the league for a while, who is by all accounts one of the best teammates in baseball. Everybody's spoken really highly of David Peralta. Um, really obviously a hardworking guy came up through the indie, uh, ball ranks, probably one of the most successful indie ball players, uh, in major league baseball. Um, so he's just one of those guys where good for the clubhouse, good to have on the team, solid defender, good, really good hitter, great against righties. And 
one of those guys for the cost, especially a 19 year old uh, that's played about 20 professional games. That's, you know, four or five years away from really being somebody that we can pay attention to. That's a, that's a low cost, high reward move for a guy that is fairly similar to an Andrew Benintendi who went, who cost three top 30 prospects from the Yankees. Um, I love this move. It's a, it's a great solid move that raises the floor of the team. Once again, it fits in with the raises MO whenever they make trades. First thing, be a good human. We know David Peralta is a really good teammate. Um, looking at his splits now over his last 15 games. Um, base percentage of 340, slugging 463 with a, with a 268 batting average. So he fits what we he fits what the Rays need right now. Uh, just a steady presence in the lineup, especially with how inconsistent the offense has been over the last month. So feel like he'll fit in perfectly with the Rays clubhouse, especially and hitting fifth in the lineup against righty sounds yeah i mean it sounds to me it's like this is just an immediate upgrade to what the rays were rolling out there um they the rays you know some some by choice but uh, you know also due to the injuries they've dealt with they've been forced to give rookies a lot more playing time than i think anybody would have expected josh Lowe, taylor walls fidel brujan when he was up um and as rookies do they struggled and that you know brought the rays lineup down and now you're seeing guys like brett phillips you know, who's, who's never really meant to be an everyday player, turn into an everyday player. And what I noticed just today, I know this doesn't mean anything, but when you see the lineup come out for that day, I said the same thing when Wander Franco came back and then when Brandon Lau came back. This is just like, it looks so much better. Like, I feel so much more confident going into a game. I know the Rays lost today, um, but Peralta, seeing him, like I just said, in that number five spot against a right-handed pitcher, I just feel there's just an air of confidence now with a guy with a proven big league track record. He's a career, like, 112 WRC+. Plus. And, and this season has, has really matched his, his career numbers, but with a pretty big split between lefties and righties, which is fine. You know, he's going to be on the on the long side of that platoon. If he doesn't play against lefties, the Rays can, can make up for it, especially when you get a guy like Harold Ramirez back. It just feels really nice to have him in here. And, and, and the cost. The cost, really low. You know, I know he's a rental um, but you look at what the Yankees gave up for Andrew Benintendi, three prospects, three pitching prospects. For the Rays to be able to get in Peralta at such a cheap price, I'm all for it. And what I love about this trade is you get a guy like Peralta, raises the floor, but he also is somebody that fits the team come September and ideally if they're playing in October. He's a guy that if you get Margot back, if you get Harold Ramirez back, he has a perfect platoon partnership there. He's a guy that you can play. He's a guy that can come off the bench. He's a guy that's seen a ton of different pitchers over the years, mostly in the NL, obviously. But it's nice to have more kind of veteran professional levels that can hopefully keep the the feeling a little lighter and also just maybe have a little bit more of a relaxed level at the plate and I think that's a big key is you have a lot of guys that are experiencing stuff for the first time they're maybe pressing a little bit Marco's been around the block Harold's been around the block Geralta's been there twice around the block so getting a guy like that come September come the 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 kind of the stretch run it'll just be nice to have a guy that you can fit in with the rest of that team really well so he's a he's a guy that's a nice rental but he fits the current team so as you get injured guys back they're an easily, you know, pegged to slot right in. 
This is this is also a guy who who struggled and then found his way out of it as well, as you're seeing with, with some of the rookies we have on the on the roster now. Um, just watching him from afar um, over the past, I would say year and a half, he's eliminated his his leg kick at the plate, and he's gone to more of a toe tap to try to adjust to you know higher velocities and things like. And it's, it's worked for him. So, guy has seen a lot. You know, he's got nine seasons with the Diamondbacks. He's coming over here to finish out that this his ninth year, and um, I hope it I hope it pays off. I, I was actually kind of surprised he because he, he was the trade occurred yesterday afternoon, and he was in the lineup today for this afternoon game. Uh, Cross country flight, spend you know nine years of his life is his wife, his two kids. In Arizona, that's a long, that's a lot to just like kind of quickly move. Obviously, they'll they'll be kind of still stationed out there. But I, I was actually thinking, you know, with the trade deadline and off day, like he was just, you know, give him the time to like rest. But I think he, I don't know, he seems like he's just got a lot of energy and loves baseball. So I feel like he maybe just wanted to get on that plane and kind of rip the Band-Aid off, get started with the new team. And and uh, today he had two balls hit 102 miles an hour. One came for a, a base hit. The other uh like like all the other hard hit balls today found a glove but um he he immediately came in he immediately made a lot of contact uh one for four three of the outs were contact put the ball in the air hit it hard honestly that's exactly what you're looking for so it was it was, a, it was an encouraging start and just again like brett said what a what a good you know way to just kind of extend that lineup just make that a little deeper so that you're not counting on you need Rayleigh and Josh Lowe and Chang or Walsh and Brett, Phillips. Contribute, and Brett Phillips to contribute. And it's like, okay, now you're going like half the lineup are guys that you're not, shouldn't be having to lean on. And then if you do have, you know, your bottom three are defensive specialists, you know, and Chang today with Chang, um, Quinn and Pinto, they all contributed actually uh, at the plate. And that's all bonus. That's that's found money. And so you you push that down so there's less pressure on them to perform, to have to come through. And then maybe they'll be able to, to hit a little bit better because of that. So Josh Lowe optioned to AAA um, after the move. Josh Lowe, whether it be because he was just getting a little bit luckier, uh, the results were starting to come from in the last, you really in the month of July. I thought he looked more comfortable, but maybe that's just because the results were coming and I felt, oh, wow, he looks more comfortable because he's getting more hits. Still striking out a good bit, was running a pretty high BABIP, uh, but he goes down to AAA. Sounds like just because, you know, they'll get him more playing time while he's finding the success because with Peralta, it was going to be, uh, you know, a decreased role for for him who's still, a, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if he's graduated from the prospect rankings yet. I feel like he probably has, but still, a, a you know, a, a heralded prospect in this race system. Luke Rayleigh stays, Roman Quinn stays, Brett Phillips stays. Now the latter to Quinn and Phillips out of options. They would have had to go through waivers and potentially, de- uh, you know, declare for free agency if 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 they did go through waivers. Um, so Rayleigh stays, and I'm okay with the move, but I'm also not convinced that Josh Lowe is going to be in the organization past the the trade deadline. It would take a pretty sizable move now, and if the Rays aren't going to get a Juan Soto or a Shohei Otani or a Frankie Montas or a Luis Castillo. I don't know how many guys are out there that you would trade a Josh Lowe for having those like part of the package. Um, but Elijah, what, what was your thoughts seeing, seeing Josh Lowe go back down to Durham? It's a little bit puzzling with the organization coming out, especially with the trade of Meadows saying that, yes, he's 
he's going to be up and he's going to be here to stay, but he's went down. This is his second time going back down. So we know the talent's there. The bat's coming around. The power isn't, isn't there yet, which is a little bit concerning, but you, it felt like he was going to be the mainstay on this roster. Um, first glance, I would have thought Luke Rayleigh was going to go down, but I guess going down as far as with the pennant, with pennant chase baseball, you've got to need guys that have had major league time before. And with Rayleigh being with the Dodgers, he kind of knows what that pedigree is. So I, I see both sides of it, but I'm, I'm okay with the move for now. I, I was a little surprised as well. Um, but I, you know, the race have done this before with their, their better prospects is wanting to see consistent playing time versus bench roles where you're not going to necessarily play a lot. I think with, Josh Lowe and Luke Rayleigh, you might look at both of their bats and see fairly similar. I'd say Josh Lowe has the much higher ceiling, but I think for the short term, you can say like, okay, next couple of weeks, probably pretty similar bat. We don't mind if Rayleigh is just like a guy, you know, he can play first base as well. So that's like a little bit more, you might have to pinch hit him like that he did today. You might have to use him then in the field that gives you another option to where you can use them. Uh, and you're just fine with him riding the pine. You're fine with him not being in the lineup and then maybe maybe coming in to pinch it, maybe not. And with Josh Lowe, you want him consistent, you know, center field time, uh, you know, out there every day with Durham and getting that, getting that playing time so that when there's an injury, when there's a trade, when there's something, you might have to call him up and then he might be then, you know, back into a starting role. So I don't think this shows that the Rays are any less um, high on Josh Lowe, but I definitely think for right now, while it is a little surprising, especially with them hitting, well, hopefully this just means that he's going back down there and, you know, Cash and the team probably talked to him and said like, hey, you're hitting well. This is just, we just added a veteran. We want you to get that consistent playing time. Heading down on a high, feeling, feeling good. You know, his first time being sent down, he was struggling mightily, gets sent down to try to fix stuff. Right now, maybe it's not trying to fix anything. It's just maybe to keep doing what he's doing, maybe get a little bit more tuned in, maybe any sort of swing changes, any sort of like generating more power, you know, kind of maybe working more on something that was working at the major league level, and then you can make it even better. Hopefully he comes back uh, and, and you know, hits the ground running and starts to generate, tap into more of that power. But I am going to be curious, you know, the next uh, 48 hours, he is a big trade chip. He is a, a big time asset that could be moved. And there are some pretty big fish out there besides some of the biggest ones that potentially could be moved in the trade. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's that's the other option is like, you want him not playing in the major leagues and potentially getting hurt in the last, you know, 48 hours before you might be making a big time trade. I, I think it's possible. Um, at the same time, I don't want to like I I still haven't given up on Josh Lowe. I was never the biggest Josh Lowe fan as a prospect, and that's not me saying that he had no shot at reaching the big leagues. But I just I looked at the strikeout numbers and I wasn't convinced. And we're kind of seeing that you know happen in the big leagues again. He's a rookie. He's going to struggle. He's going to go through these growing pains, and eventually, you know, if the race stick with him or goes on to another franchise, he can find that success and. You still look at the guy, and I'm trying not to to be you know too biased here, but he, he kind of looks like a like a big league player. He's got the physique. He's like six foot four, six foot five, lean. We've seen him hit for power at AAA. 
will that actually turn into him being a good major league baseball player? I don't know. Um, but hopefully he continues to find success in Durham and the the mental side of things like this doesn't like Elijah said, he's been sent down twice now. And it's gotta be pretty disheartening to start finding your stride in the big leagues and then the Rays go out and bring in another outfielder and send you right back down. Like that has to be I don't I'm sure there was a conversation between the front office and him or Kevin Cash and him saying, Listen, this is the plan. Right now, this is what's best for you. I don't know how much of that's going to get through to a guy like Josh Lowe. I'm not in those conversations, though, so this is all speculation. Um, the one more thing on the David Peralta trade uh, was a tweet that Joel Sherman put out um, after the trade was made yesterday. Um, and I'll just, I'll just read it verbatim, and then we can kind of discuss it. Um, Once Rays decided price on Juan Soto was beyond their tolerance, they wanted to add offense where they could try, where they could and try to survive until they get Harold Ramirez and Wander Franco back later in the year. So they obtained David Peralta. Now, that's been quote tweeted 55 times. There's a lot of replies. <laughs> There's been lots of discussion. And, and I understand it, right? Because it reads as if David Peralta and Juan Soto are in the same stratosphere. They clearly are not. But, okay. If, if the Rays have a big board, right, like you would for a draft or for free agency or for whatever, in terms of left-handed hitting bats or left-handed hitting outfielders, whatever it was, that you can acquire at, at the deadline, like Juan Soto is acquirable, he would be number one on your list. And then number two or three or four, based on, you know, years of control and price and ability on the field, it's not that far-fetched to say that Peralta would be number two. Maybe Benintendi was two, but you look at, you know, the Yankees had already acquired him, and they spent a little bit more than the Rays had to. So it's not that far-fetched to say that Peralta was the next man on the on the list for the Rays uh, because, of course, the price for Soto is going to be way more than David Peralta. So I don't know. I just thought that made logical sense to me, like, yeah, we're not going to get Soto because we'd have to trade Shane Boz and Josh Lowe and Curtis Mead and Taj Bradley. Okay, I guess we can get David Peralta. So, I don't know. Did you guys bump at that, that tweet at all, or did it make sense to you? Maybe I'm just the weird one here. Me personally, I just felt like the asking price for Juan Soto was going to be astronomical anyway, and the Rays don't really make astronomical trades. However, you know, when in the Peter Bendix GM regime, you know, they've taken some big swings and came up, came up second or third a few times. So it doesn't surprise me, but at the same time, this group's eye is always on the future. When we, the Rays never go all in. So it didn't surprise me, but there's always gonna be, you know, there's always gonna be a push, but the asking price is too high, then you know, it is what it is. And I think that's a good way of going into the trade deadline, right? You have to be pretty realistic with what, what do you have as a team? What are your expectations for the year? How do these play pieces fit? And what is the cost to acquire? I think that is definitely the level, right? Like, you know, I, I think Joel Sherman is getting, getting a little like clown for, you know, basically in the same sentence being like Juan Soto or that. And it's like, basically like, honey, would you like, uh, you know, filet mignon and, and lobster? Or I got some Taco Bell. So great stuff. Delicious. Both are delicious. A little different price points for both. Um, I should have went with McDonald's. Why didn't I just go with McDonald's? David Peralta famously 
a former employee of McDonald's there. Ah, oh, really swinging a miss. I'm gonna I'm gonna blame the COVID brain on that one. Um, no, I, I think Peralta. Like if you you if anything that we've learned in baseball in the last like 20 years is that looking at the sticker price and this and the the name brand does not necessarily equate to the the be all end all. You have to look at production and you have to look at how the cost to get that production. And it's not just like dollars and cents, it's it's assets, it's it's players, it's potentially the next, you know, Juan Soto. And while you shouldn't, you know, necessarily have to, you know, clasp your your prospects close to you, because eventually most of them, the the general rule is they're probably gonna flame out. Like that's just the way it works. This is a very difficult sport that the bet like everybody that's in baseball was the very, very best everywhere they were at until they reached a point where they weren't the best anymore. And, and that is, that is the level. So it's the, it's the slightest, you know, better folks. And Juan Soto is a top three player in all of baseball, top five, easy, probably top three. So the cost is going to be high and you have to think, okay, how much does that give us versus how much do we lose now, next year, future, where does that put us? And are we maybe better with running a platoon of Peralta and Harold Ramirez for this year, get us to the postseason, and maybe Peralta just runs hot for, for a couple of series, you know, you're, you're talking about maybe 40, 50 plate appearances and anybody can get hot. You look at the Atlanta Braves, Eddie Rosario became the best hitter on the planet for about 50 plate appearances. Who would have thought that Nelson Cruz, a much better hitter got really cold for 50 plate appearances and in about a month who would have thought that it's just the way it goes so I, I think it's fair I think it's totally fair to look at the price for Soto and go you know what I'm actually okay with adding a smaller piece who can still fill a good role for this year and we're not adjusting anything for the next two years like everything in the next two years is still the exact same everything is there Serta Maybe he becomes something great. That's a five-year from now problem. That's four or five years. Next year, year after, 2022, 2023, 2024, there's no math changed. And we'll see if there is a trade that changes that at all, but this is an opportunity to say, you know what? We're okay with this rental instead. And also, I think every team, because I, 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 I tweeted out last night, in 29 front offices, they had the Juan Soto discussion. It might have been a short one, it could have been like 10 minutes like, yeah, this isn't going to work. But every front office said, well, what if we did this, this, and this? And the, now it's it's rumored to be down to three teams, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, and the Padres, all in the National League. Part of the calculations that you're doing is the chances to sign him to an extension. Um, he just turned down an enormous amount of money from the Nationals, still below free market value, but that's what happens when you sign an extension with the team you currently play for. Have the Rays ever signed a Boris client to any contract that wasn't like a pre-arbitration deal? I don't know. And if they have, it's been a while. They currently have one Boris client, and that's Randy Rosarena, um, but he is still very much under team control for the next few years. I, like the odds that the Rays, and that's not even like, a, ooh, the Rays are cheap take. The odds that the Rays would have been able to extend a player like Juan Soto probably pretty small so do you really want to mortgage the farm for two and a half not only the farm but guys that are big league ready like a josh Lowe, uh, maybe a shane boz that would have come up in those discussions 
it's it's becomes less worth it, right? To to go after and go all in for a guy like Shoto. And when you and when you look at the price tag and some of the rumors, we don't know the price. Nobody has met that price yet. Maybe nobody does. But the the one rumor that that had a little bit of legs that was kind of out there that Hector Gomez sort of posted was it would be C.J. Abrams from the Padres, Mackenzie Gore, Adrian Morahan. Uh, the number 23 prospect in all of baseball, Robert Hassel, the third, Joshua Mears, who's one of the Padres' top 10 guys. That you're looking at, basically, you're looking at your, your Shane Boz. That's your Mackenzie Gore there. You're looking at a Josh Lowe, or maybe even better, if they prefer Bruhan, sure, but a top, you know, your top, you know, shortstop. You're looking at probably Curtis Mead, and you're looking at probably Taj Bradley. And that may not get it done. But that's that's those are guys that help you in 2022 and 2023. So you really have to be careful, right? Now, not all all four may not amount to anything. They may never be even a fraction of what Soto does in a month. But those all could be great. And you have to really weigh the odds of all of that and the cost to acquire, knowing that you're probably not going to sign Juan Soto to that extension. Then you also have to potentially with the Rays probably looking at like what's the cost of acquiring and then potentially trading in a year and being like, can we, can we recoup that? It's one of those things where the Yankees are looking at that and they can't afford to extend Juan Soto because they have to extend Aaron judge. So the Yankees, the richest team on earth are going to look at that and go like, we can't even do it. We would have to trade our farm. I don't know if that even gets it done. Plus do we have the money to also afford to sign Soto and judge and pay for everybody else? We already have to pay Cole. So if the Yankees are going to look at that and even say like, we, we're kind of out, we're okay with our team. It isn't just, you know, teams being cheap. This is like, we're, this is, we're talking, we're, we're shopping at Tiffany's. We're, we're shopping at like the high end stores right now, which if you're the nationals, absolutely. This is a franchise altering move. If you mess this up, it sets you back a decade. So you have to, you have to price them well, but yeah, it, it, there is going to be a lot of teams. I, if this trade actually goes down, I will be so shocked and I'll be so impressed because some team, some GM decided like they're, they're pushing their chips and they're like, I may not be around for when these prospects ever show up, but if I can get, if I can get a world series, I'm good. I just bought myself a decade of, of my career. And you got to remember who's trading Who's trading away Juan Soto? Like Mike Rizzo was a scout before he was a GM. So he's very particular on what he wants. And it's going to be a really high asking price for a kid that young for that much control. And the prospects that you're getting back for him are probably older than the player in question. So you have, you have all these components here. It's just like, okay, I'm trading away a younger player to get an older prospect. That's not proven. Hey, give me six of these and it gets done, you know? So it's, it's hairy, but then again, this is, you know, this is big business. This is, this is the last thing I'll say on it. It just has AJ Preller's footprint on it. Like if you're going to do it, if you're going to go all in, it's either him or, or Dave Dombrowski. And, you know, I don't know if the Phillies have the farm, but <laughs> This is an AJ Preller esque move to go all in like this, especially with Seattle I, I, with history, not making the playoffs since is it two thousand four? Because I know I know Matt Holiday he touched the plate, 
That was that was the last I remember of San Diego playing in the postseason or playing for the postseason. So they were in they were in during the COVID year, but that was the kind of the fake. That's right. Everybody made it. Yeah, everybody made it in. Yeah. I, I, I kind of forget that one too because it's like, oh yeah, the Marlins made it. And you're like, oh yeah. Okay. And won a series. But yeah, and they won a series. They did pretty <laughs> the well. The Astros had a below 500 record and were a game away from the World <laughs> Series that year. I mean, everybody was in. Uh, yeah, this is this is definitely one of those ones. I'm sure I would have loved to have seen the Dave Gombrowski like call me like I will let's empty everybody and they're like our farm isn't good enough. To, don't let's not let's not embarrass Mike Rizzo. He's it, we don't want to he'll like keep laughing at us for offering these guys be like Alec Bohm is our headliner and you'll be like come on we're let's <laughs> Dave I know you want to trade everybody but we, we can't do it and you gotta you gotta get ownership on board too your ownership yeah. Has to get on board with whatever yeah I Preller definitely I mean Brett you mentioned this the last time we did this pod too was it, it does have and San Diego's missed out on some of their big the big swings they they just got left at the altar for Scherzer that was a pretty big one. And they, and he went to the rival team and then they had a pretty big collapse last year. This is, this is a guy who has taken some big swings. He's gotten some good hits. He's also had some big swings and misses. And I do think Preller is one of those guys that I don't think he's on the hot seat, but there is how many times can you miss the playoffs and how much, how much talent can you have and not succeed with before there's at least the, the questions that maybe maybe it's time to to get somebody else to, to do this job. So if anybody's bold enough, I, I agree with Elijah and I agree with you, Brett. Like now that now that Seattle's out, I was like, I, I uh, my, my guy, Trader Jerry, I was like, he he would also be bold enough, but he already made his big splash. So I, I think uh, I think probably the guy that you're looking at and you're like, Oof, that fits his M.O. And, you know, they've already got one superstar coming back. Like they're adding a superstar to their roster at some point in the second half in, in Fernando Tatis Jr. They're already a very good team. They're 10 games above 500. They're pretty securely in a wild card spot. They're not going to catch the Dodgers, but who can? So, you know, maybe there's less pressure on the Padres this year, but also given what happened the last couple years, specifically last year and everything that's kind of been reported about how that went down and the meltdown that the Padres had, it does feel like if someone's going to do it, it's, it's going to be an A.J. Preller. Uh, a couple other big pieces that could or could not be moved, I guess one that, that he's, he's almost certainly going to be moved, is Frankie Montas. And I don't know. My thoughts are he's he's going to be a Yankee, right? I mean, we thought that was going to be Luis Castillo, too. I, I think Brian Cashman is less inclined to do the big, splashy trades. But... Yeah, Montas, I mean, like it, they, all the reports are that Yankees are zeroing in. They, they had Castillo as their number one that's moved on. Now Montas becomes their, their top target. They have not, it seems like Cashman has been very hesitant to part with Volpe. And that's going to be the the piece that a lot of people wants. I, I don't know. You're in a, the Yankees are in an interesting spot that the Rays have been in a lot where the top prospects, their top like three are guys that are a little too nice. And so everybody's like, I need, I got to tell my owner and my fan base that I got one of your top three prospects for this guy. And they're like, well, but this, these top three prospects are a little bit better than your guy. So I don't think what if my fifth guy, my fifth prospect is better than most teams, number one, but that's hard to sell. That's harder to sell. So I don't know. I, I think 
the Yankees, it seems like have been a little bit more hesitant to trade the, the their prospect capital. We'll see if they do make the splash, this will be a change because they've, they've mostly been trading from the, the kind of the, the more bulk and depth of their, their prospects, not the top. Bro, I, there's something to me since, since the boss passed, you know, George Steinbrenner, there's been a dynamic in New York that they never really make the big move. Like you can equate the biggest move in the past past decade of Yankees of Yankee baseball will probably be Stanton. And that was kind of forced because he was either going to go to New York or LA. So I don't think they do that. It's weird. They're in this, they're in this spot where it's New York. As much as we don't want to say it's, it's the Mecca of baseball. Right. So they can't tear it down and they can't, they can't go all in. So you're in this bubble as to where, okay, work with what you got and build from within. So I feel like, Frankie Matas is going to be a St. Louis Cardinal because they can either go, you can either go Jordan Lawler, you can go Mason Wynn as a headliner. And, you know, they, they hit, they, 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 they hit a three run bomb in the, in the draft in 2020. Those two, those two picks yeah. are be really, really good. But you already have your depth up top. And, you know, you got Nolan Gorman, you got Dylan Carlson, you have these guys, it's the Cardinal way. They do it from within. And then they go out and get the other pieces like Arenado and Goldsmith. So, it fits. It fits the Cardinals' mo to go get Montas. Go get the arm you need. You'll you'll probably have Jack Flaherty coming back. He's been there and done it. You have Wayno and Yachty. Cardinals baseball, man. I think that's what I think that's what they're gonna do. I really do. I, I'd be I'd be curious about that too. Yeah, with with one point five years remaining for Montas, you have him for this year, for the stretch run, and you also have him for next year, which is a nice, which raises the price quite a bit, but. Similar, like we see with Luis Castillo, you're trading big price tag. I mean, Cincinnati kind of set the price for a 1.5 year, you know, ace level starter, um, or at least number one starter. That's the price tag that Oakland's going to want. Montas is right in that range, so he, he probably deserves that. And you're not, or you're you're going to have basically you're trading your big prospects, but you're not trading all your big prospects. And you're also getting a guy for that second year, which is nice, which, which, which does kind of put that in that range where if you're the Cardinals, same as the Mariners, you're good this year. You are young enough that you have most of your best prospects are already graduated now. So the next guys, they're now kind of trying to find a spot. So it's like, well, you know, we have a third baseman. We have our first baseman. And we have our outfield pretty well set. Our infield's actually pretty solid. They own that's it's a mix of prospects or or free agent veterans that are that are already signed. Yeah, you can maybe trade a little bit to upgrade those little pieces. I don't know. I, I think the Cardinals could make a lot of sense there, especially if they miss out on Soto. They'll have already gone to the. They've been. They're already getting comfortable with trading a lot, so they could then be like, "Oh, we, we're actually not trading that much at all now. This is actually a much easier sell." The ownership might be like, "Okay, I'm ready. Let's sell all this," and be like, "Guess what? It's going to be much cheaper for you." And they're going to be like, "Excellent. We love it. You made a splash, and I had to pay less." Every billionaire loves that. That's what every owner wants to see. <laughs> Any other players? I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Blue Jays do. I mean, I think it's very, going to be very interesting to see what the Rays do, and we'll kind of talk about that to wrap up the show. Any other big name? Uh, obviously, Castillo's already been moved. Like, is there any chance 
I think they should, but it's really hard to do it at the deadline like this. And and maybe even a hall that's that's bigger than a Juan Soto hall. I don't know. Shohei Otani, any chance he gets moved before Tuesday? I don't think the Angels have it in them to to do that yet. Like I, I don't think I think they need every team in baseball involved, which means the offseason, because you can build a team around Shohei Otani. I mean, the Angels can't clearly, but most <laughs> most teams can build around a Shohei Otani. That's that already jumpstarts you to an ace level pitcher and your your best hitter. So you already have that involved. I I don't know the deadline. That seems it just seems like a lot. It's also the biggest draw in baseball. Like that's that's the that's the other thing too. Is like that that there's no other reason. Like I, Trout's awesome, but like there would be such a big drop off in Southern California in Angels baseball if, if it's such a disappointing season. And then you also trade Otani. I don't know. And, and the thing with with Trout too is, and now another shortened season, and it sounds like you know, he's going to be on the wrong side of 30 playing center field. I'm not here to say that he can't be one of the best hitters in the game um, because he was still amazing in the time that he played this year. But have we seen the best of Mike Trout? I mean, history says, yes, a guy that plays center field his whole career, that many games starts to pick up these types of injuries. We probably have. Where do the angels go? Like, do we ever get to a point where Mike Trout, wants to go play right field slash DH for the last, you know, four or five years of his quote unquote prime for a playoff contender. When do the angels, I don't want to call it rip the bandaid off, but I've been so I've almost been an angels defender to where like, Oh, they're still so close yet. So far I agree. Darby, it won't happen before the deadline because it just feels like there hasn't been any buzz, any smoke. They say they're listening on anybody, including Otani, but I just I don't think there's enough smoke there for something to get done before August second. But they've got to trade him this winter, right? I mean, like if you let a guy like that walk, that's a bigger crime than what they've done with him and Trout the last few seasons. And to piggyback on on Trout, it feels it feels like it kind of feels like the player that I named my dog after. It feels like Ken Griffey Jr. I'm thinking, okay, 30-31, on the back end, came up young, came up at 19. Now you have an injury history, so I I don't know. But, yeah, I feel like you have to move him to a corner. You got Joe Adele there. He's athletic enough to play center there. It's pretty fair dimensions there. Um, And then especially with – we, we all know Artie Marino loves big, flashy things. That'll be a hard piece to part away with Shohei Otani. But if you're, if you're in the middle of the league, you know, if you keep going 77 to 85 every year, what more can you do? I feel like, yeah, if Juan Soto brings in a Herschel Walker type haul, <laughs> what about a guy, a two-way guy that's doing it at an elite level from both sides we're, we may be talking about an eight or 10 player haul for just one guy, you know? So that's the way we're looking at it, you know? Well, I, to like, to add on to, to Elijah here though, is that it, it almost, you might actually make it easier to trade Otani because 
if you're the angels, you're not building for the long haul. Like you can't add up enough prospects that could equal somebody like Juan Soto. But if you are saying like, we got trout, we have some good pitcher, like what, like we shouldn't be bad. So if we're trading Otani, let's get a mix of like some, like another good veteran pitcher, a reliever, some top prospects, huge cost controlled, like, position player we can add you know you could maybe do a trade where you trade the best player in the deal but you get a better team out of it kind of almost like a raise trade where it's suddenly like you just you traded the the top player but you got enough talent that you've actually built a better team altogether without that player now they have to have the right gm to be able to pull that off but I think there is something there that I'm almost more intrigued to see what the angels do with that than with the Nats. Cause the Nats are like, we're building for the long haul. This one is like, you, you can't build for the long haul. You still have trout and every year from here on out, you're getting a lesser version of trout. And Otani's still cheap. So it's not like you're trading away to get, you know, to eat money. You're trading away for just the player. It's not like you're trading, you know, Soto away where he's going to make record arbitration money in Shohei World 2, but at the same time, you know, he's he signed a deal. Like, he's not coming, you know, he's not coming coming up the traditional way. He signed a deal to come over here. So you're, you're paying for the player. There's no, there's no hometown discounts or no cheapies. You're, you, are, you are ponying up. And the thing with Otani is I feel like if you're, you're a team that's looking to trade for him and you're, you know, considering extensions – he is going to be, I think, a little bit easier to negotiate. I don't know who his agent is, but it's not Scott Boris. And Shohei Otani right now is the face of baseball. And while you're still going to pay for a face of baseball price and for an MVP price, like Juan Soto, to me, unless he gets that $500 million number, is destined to be a free agent because Scott Boris loves nothing more than his players hitting free agency. Shohei Otani is going to be a global superstar no matter where he goes i mean he could go play for the colorado rockies and he is still shohei otani like you you even see now like juan soto he's still amazing and everybody like baseball fans know him and love him but like he's playing for washington if he played his career i know he won the world series and that helped but like if juan soto went to uh to, to oakland or to the rangers like he might kind of go by the way you might, you know, you might get not as much global recognition where like Otani that goes wherever he goes, he could come play for us, a small market team and and still do that. So I think there are more suitors for Otani. He's settled in the United States. Now I know that was a big thing when, when he made the move from Japan, he's on the cover of MLB the show. He's, he is the face of baseball and he's, and he's good enough to be the best player in the game, arguably. I don't know. Like I, that, that is an interesting deal. Even with only one year left, as opposed to Soto has two, I think we're looking at similar halls and maybe even a bigger haul for for a guy like Gotani because he really is a priceless player, in my opinion. Well, and to your point, Brett, he's going to be twenty nine uh, when he's a free agent if you don't extend him, which is a lot easier to sign because that big price tag, like the idea of of. Soto, right now, you're trying to sign a 23-year-old to an extension. And it's like... He's already a top five hitter and probably not in his prime yet, maybe for another four years. It's it's so astronomically expensive that it's it's like almost impossible. Whereas Otani, okay, 29, 
you're looking at maybe like a like a five to, to eight year deal. That's different than a 15 year deal. And that can mm-hmm. be a lot easier to just say like, okay, we're not going to be paying this for the next two decades, but we, we can like, we're going to have to pay a lot, but it's going to be a shorter time period. We can, we can plan out success for the first five years and then just be like, we might have to eat these last three. It's hard to say like, are we going to be good for 15 years? Right. Or we might be eating 10 years of a bad deal. I mean, not even a bad deal, like the player would be worth it, but it's like, now we have, we have a bad team. We're going through down periods. So I almost do think it's like easier in a way to sign Otani to a big time extension. And then you might think, okay, I'm going to trade for him. And then maybe I can win him over on this culture in our, in our, in our city, on our team. And maybe I can get that like head start on the next club to, to get him to resign. Sounds like a Jerry DePoto move. You just gave up Noel Marte there, though. So who who do yeah. you give up? Do you do you move Julio for Shohei? No, <laughs> I think Julio. I think Julio has might have moved it. He's in the wander camp of like, is it impossible to move? Yeah, like there's no trade that you can. I think it's too much of a. I don't even know they trade Julio for Wander. Like right. it's too much of that. Like, and I don't think the Rays do either. I think it's one of those things where it's like you, like this is your guy. You have already been like, I am comfortable with him. I've turned the keys over. You know him as a person. You know him as a personality. It's like, oh, this guy is too good. Like he is the guy I want being the face of my franchise for the next decade. So I think with that, it's as big a star as Otani is. I think with Julio, I think you're like, this is great. He's got a thousand watt smile. This guy is already super personable, charismatic. He like lit up the home run derby. I think you're just like, this is who, this is who I need to build my franchise around. So even like a Soto or Otani guys that are, that are better right now. I think you just are like, this is, I have to build this franchise around this person. Everybody else. I think you can be like, you pick around, but this is the one guy. And and then it becomes tough. Cause it's like, but they're like, that's the one piece I want. But yeah, I, I think those two, I think Wander and Julio are impossible to move until you get into a situation like the Nats were where they're underwater with bad contracts and, and no, no farm system, which is where I don't think the Mariners or the, the Rays will get to, because I think they're, they're, they're too forward thinking. They're too much. They don't go all in. So they, they kind of have that ideas. They don't want to get into that situation where they're paying astronomically bad Patrick Corbin money to an astronomically bad pitcher like Patrick Corbin and with no farm system to really replace that. So I, I think those two teams are going to be like happy with those deals forever. Any other rapid fire trade deadline takes or predictions of where people are going to end up before we go to break? I just hope we have a crazy deadline like 2017, man. That was so fun. Like JD, people don't realize how good JD Martinez was for the Diamondbacks that, that year when he went over like that. There was some really good deals that went down. He could be moved again. This, just, this deadline. He, he could. I think he will, but I just hope we have a crazy deadline for the, for the betterment of baseball, to keep baseball in the spotlight. Like, you know, you got NFL training camps going on. You got college football about to start. Like, keep keep baseball relevant. I hope we get 30 Jerry DePotos on Tuesday, you know. But no, I'm kidding. But in all seriousness, I know I just hope we have a really good – I hope we really have a really good trade deadline for the betterment of the game. Yeah, me, me too. I think I, – I always love the deadline. There's always some some nice, fun chaos. Last couple of years, it felt a little bit more 
reserved. But a lot of the last few years, a lot of those prospects, a lot of those things, they haven't been a lot of information. Uh, things have been closed down. We haven't seen, you know, we the 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 minor league system was so disrupted by COVID that we didn't get to see maybe as many trades because people were like, I don't know, did this guy take his leap? You know, this 18-year-old kid, his 19-year-old season, it, it's all in the darkness. And the team is telling me he did really well and he changed the swing. And I'm like, I, you know, so I think now hopefully we'll be able to see like guys be like, I'm in, I'm going to trade this star player for these potentially star players. I, I do love deadline season. I love seeing things shift around. I like that this third wild card spot has made it in a way I was, I was strongly opposed to the, the, the adding and diluting the postseason. But I think the third wild card spot has actually added this really fun wrinkle that more teams can really say, you know, Baltimore could be a buyer. They could. They, they are right there. They're in the, the Nick, you know, they're, they're in the hunt. They're right there. They're in the, the heat of it. And they could be like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do a buy, maybe a small buy, get those fan base excited to add a player. Uh, you could see Cleveland, they could sell, they could buy. You, you could see a lot of teams. You could see Miami even try to buy. Like you could see a lot of teams that are on the fringe, try to push their way in. You could see the teams at the top, try to extend. I hope we see some, some chaos, like Elijah said, and, I just, I, what I, what I liked was this, this week we saw a big trade go down the first kind of big trade of the deadline. And that was Luis Castillo going from the Reds to the Mariners. And it cost some really good prospects. Like the Reds did a great job with that trade. They got some awesome prospects. They could be their, their farm system is looking great, but I love this trade for the Seattle. It's been 20 years plus now since they've been to the postseason they have a very good exciting team they're in the postseason right now if the season ended they needed some pitchers they needed another frontline starter and Luis Castillo is awesome and they 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 made a move that will help them this year and next year without touching anything that will help them this year and next year and maybe it won't work out, but I love to see them going for that move. I think it's a, it's not an all in move, but it is a, I'm going to put a big bet down move. And I love to see that because I think that is exactly what the deadline's about is that some teams decide, you know what, I'm not going to mortgage the entire future, but I'm going to, I'm going to put a big bet down here on this hand and we're going to see what happens. And, and I love to see that from the Seattle point of view and, and see that excitement for a fan base that really is desperate, desperate to get back to the postseason. I think if there's going to be an out-of-nowhere trade, a guy that hasn't really been brought, well, mentioned sometimes, but nothing, there's not a lot of smoke there yet, would be Xander Bogarts. Red Sox have are kind of in the middle of a collapse. He's got a player opt-out, but like if he doesn't opt-out, below market value for a team that would want to trade for him. Maybe the Red Sox are still hesitant. They did just sign Trevor Story, though, so it seemed like they were preparing for the post-Bogarts era. That would be, I think, a wild trade with a very interesting return if it did come to fruition. So let's take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to talk more Rays baseball before we bring it home and raise our voice once again about the MLB trade deadline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. I spent the first half of the show just talking trade deadline around the league, and we'll get back to talking trade, specifically uh, centering around the Rays in just a little bit. I want to talk about what's been going on on the field. The Rays just dropped a a three-game series at home against Cleveland. Uh, They welcome in Toronto for a two-game set this week before heading out on the road to play Detroit. But there's been a lot of new guys on the roster, obviously David Peralta, who was just added. But in the last couple of weeks, you've seen the Rays add players like Yu Chang and Roman Quinn. And even before that, Christian Bethencourt. Uh, we've learned that Kevin Kiermeyer and Mike Zanino are going to be on the injured list for the remainder of this season. And potentially, you know, won't, we might not see them again is in Rays uniforms. So I just want to talk about how the new guys and where they're fitting in and how the Rays have been using them. So... Let's start with Bethancourt. So they acquire him from from the Oakland A's. It wouldn't shock me to see the Rays look into the catcher position even more so in the next 48 hours. Uh, But I like the addition they made in Bethancourt. He went from being a backup to Mejia to now really being the starter or splitting time with Rene Pinto as Francisco Mejia also went on the injured list. But... I'm I'm overall pretty satisfied with Bethencourt. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. I think he's he's come in pretty much with what he expected to be. He hits the ball really hard. He, since coming over to Tampa, Tampa Bay, 55.6% hard hit rate. Hits the ball hard. Not all of them are finding grass, but he has a loud bat. It's good against lefties. It's not great against righties. He's a pretty rough catcher. He's not very good behind the plate. So that is rough. Um, But yeah, I think, again, there's so many guys that have been elevated to roles that they weren't brought in here for. And a guy that's more of a situational short side of the platoon guy now has to get more of the time and might be a little bit more exposed. But I think he's still a really useful piece, especially as a pinch hit slash lefty killer type that you can have on this team. So I, I think that was a really still solid acquisition. I feel like he's a classic raise, raise, you know, acquisition does one thing. Well, hit the ball hard. You live with everything else. So you, you get the catcher defense, but he's versatile. So you have that going for him as well. But he, he, he is what he, he is what he, you know, what the Rays acquired and what, what fit the need at the time still at and still does, you know, hard hit got, Right-handed hitter, hits the ball really hard, versatile, and the bonuses you can put him behind the play. So. And and even though it 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 feels, obviously, you're very happy with, with Zanino and Mejia, or at least what that duo did last year. Mejia kind of fell off at the plate this year. He's never been, like, a great hitter, but put together a good season last year and has really struggled this year. Pinto, I really like defensively. I don't think he can really hit, but he's a catcher. He doesn't have to. Bethancourt, I think, makes up for that offense. Not ideal, but given the situation the Rays are in, I think they had a feeling Zanino was going to be done for the season when they made this move. 
And it wouldn't shock me if they try to look into the catching market again. Maybe even one of Bethancourt's former teammates in Oakland with Sean Murphy. I, I don't. I think it's unlikely that a trade like that comes to fruition, but those conversations will will definitely be had. Um, Roman Quinn and Yu Chang, I think, are even more interesting. Both have taken on some pretty big roles. You know, Roman Quinn, you know, the Rays came into this season with, in terms of defense, three elite center fielders. This point in the season, you know, before they added Roman Quinn, they were down to just one in Brett Phillips, who I've said is like a terrible, terrible hitter, which is fine because of the defense and the base running that he provides. Roman Quinn gives the Rays another center field option. I know Josh Lowe was also getting some innings out there. He's back in AAA Durham. Roman Quinn, a switch hitter, um, at best, could be like a 90 WRC plus guy, I think, with some above average center field defense. A little bit, you know, he can steal some bases. I'm pretty happy with this addition. I think it it it, it makes it a lot easier to fill out a lineup card when you've got an extra switch hitter that can play center field. And I I've been I've been impressed with with what what, what he's done in a Rays uniform thus far. Uh, Quinn's even hit well. Like that's the that's the other thing, right? He's actually showed a pretty decent bat since coming over, and that's definitely not the tool they got him for. Uh, he's he's laced some pretty good extra base hits. Uh, today he had another double. He's got a 108 WRC plus in the few games in the week plus that they got him over to to Tampa Bay. Um, but he's a guy that you can trust as a base runner. Is a guy that you can trust in center field. He made a play the other day on the unfortunate and kind of embarrassing Josh Lowe ball lost in the sun, hitting his cheek. That play, now Trey Mancini is not very fast, but they nearly got him at home off a ball that's, that was in the sky forever, bounced off of Josh Lowe's face, rolled directly further into right field. Quinn goes over from, from deep center all the way over to get that ball and fire it in and very nearly got Mancini at home. That is not an out. It's just, it's not going to be remembered, but that is like a type of play that kind of opened my eyes. I was like, wow, this guy is fast. This guy is very fast. Good instincts right there. That kind of level of defense, like those are the small things that the Rays always did that got them a win when they didn't think they should have really gotten that win. And so having a guy like that, even if he's light hitting, that can, that can be huge, especially come postseason. If you have a guy that yet extra guy on your roster, that's not there to start that's not there to be in the starting lineup but might play a role late in the game i love the quinn edition because it kind of brings us back to the pre-2008 devil race days where okay you don't hit the ball hard but you can flat out move and quinn is 98th percentile sprint speed according to baseball survive so i feel like that's something that the rays kind of got away from in, in past seasons now you bring the element of speed in, of course, we know the Rays aren't going to bunt. But if he puts it in a gap and it's rolling in the gap slowly, that's three bases right there. You know, So he's not going to hit the ball hard, but even if he dinks one in, he can get the extra base. So that's one of the, that's one of the elements that I've, I've missed from Rays baseball, that, that, you know, that grittiness and getting the extra base. I feel like the addition of Quinn and especially his versatility, being a switch hitter, can play any outfield position. I, I like to move for that particular reason. 
The other one is going to be Yu Chang, um, and he provides infield versatility, can play second, third, and short, uh, which is great. You know, you've got Taylor Walls there now, but Wander Franco's on the IL, Vidal Brujan's in AAA. To have a guy that can play shortstop that, you know, in a very small sample with the Rays has been able to hit more than more than he has throughout his his short big league career. But having another backup shortstop, a right-handed bat, kind of changes up the lineup a little bit. I'm pretty happy with him too. My question is to you guys, which player, maybe, maybe it's both, but which player has a better chance of staying with the team throughout the regular season, past the trade deadline, and when the Rays start to bring back a Manuel Margot, a Harold Ramirez, and a Wander Franco? Um, I think the speed tool for Quinn is the difference maker there. With Kevin Kiermeyer out, the center field defense is going to be the big key. Uh, I I think both are guys that you might. So I I think Chang is here until Wander's back, uh, and I think and I think that's kind of the the limit point. It would be very surprising to me if Chang stuck around and Walls went down. It wouldn't floor me, but it would definitely be a shock. I think. Quinn with the, the, the injuries to, to, you know, Margot, you have to see that he's healthy enough to still man center field and be okay. No setbacks there. You have Phillips as again, that similar, similar type of player. I think you can then make that decision there. If, uh, if, you know, you need to keep Quinn or not, but I think Chang is more likely to be a shorter time player he's done really well i actually love to like i thought he's hit the ball pretty well so far he's been fairly smooth at, at shortstop as well and he's got soldier boy for his walk-up music like that's great super smart i love that uh but but yeah i, I think it's easier especially if you're looking forward in in the in towards like october to have another guy that you can be defensive replacement in the outfield and potentially pinch run and like win a game on the bases, then then an extra shortstop. I always rely on athleticism as far as, as roster moves and things like that. Who's the better at who's the better athlete? And then when you go back in previous years, like tw- I'll take 2019 and 21, you know, Nate Lowe kind of went on the 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 triple A to majors uh shuttle because they needed more athleticism. You know, at that at one point the Rays were putting Nate Lowe at third base in 2019 for a short period of time because they, they needed the but they needed the athleticism. But I would take Quinn over Chang because the situation that keeps rolling into my head, let's say the Rays get a walk with one out in the ninth and you need to win a ball game. Who would you rather pinch run? Would you rather pinch run Chang or Roman Quinn? I mean, if Brett Phillips is on the roster still, it's I mean, maybe you're taking Brett Phillips, like having Brett, like, I guess, law of diminishing returns with a glove first, you know, leg first guy, you already have one. And again, in an ideal world, neither of these guys are on the race, uh, but we, we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a world where there's like 17 or 18 guys on the injured list right now. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I like Quinn Chang might stick around after like if if Franco comes back before Ramirez 
And then when Ramirez comes back, and again, all, all of this might change. They might go out and make a trade tomorrow, and then all of this goes out the window. But the way the roster currently stands on the position player side, if there are no more moves, I think it's Quinn too, but I think it's close. It wouldn't surprise me if like either gets optioned before the other. But what about Brett Brett Phillips? Because again, like Roman Quinn, Brett Phillips, other than one being a switch hitter and one being a lefty, how different are they? Again, I like Phillips' defense more than Quinn, or he's got at least more of a proven track record. This year he's been one of, if not the best center fielders in the game. It's the reason why he stuck around, but is there a chance where Quinn gets picked before Brett Phillips? I I don't I don't see any scenario where that happens to be perfectly honest I mean there's nothing against Roman Quinn but I think Brett Phillips is we we were talking with like Kevin Kiermeyer here like the only person that can really be that that like true like who can beat Kevin Kiermeyer straight up in def- in defense and arm strength and Brett Phillips is either 1b or just like or above or 1a in both of those categories the sprint speed, the the on base like base running, I think are all elite. And I think if if it's all equal, I do think there is the familiarity with Brett Phillips here, the local guy who's you know kind of entrenched in that clubhouse. I don't think I think he is the last person of the no option guys to go. And I don't see him being DFA'd before the end of this season. It would surprise me. It would really, really surprise me. Even if I think Quinn is maybe a little bit better at the plate. And and so far he has looked much better at the plate, especially with contact. I think the the bit better on defense, the bit better uh, base running, maybe a, a touch slower, but Brett's really fast as well like maybe like it's like 96 percentile versus 98. Like it's, it's pretty high up there. Like I, I'd actually have to look at the numbers, but in the past, Brett's been really high up there. I, I think you really are looking at a very close race. And I think you just keep Phillips because of the familiarity. He's it's, I think it's a really hard thing to move on from Brett Phillips. Cause he is a guy that like, there was a line around the block, the stadium today for Brett Phillips autographs in unbelievable heat and they just did a, a jersey giveaway for him like he's still a big personality on this this like clubhouse that that i think would be would be a loss i i honestly do i just looked up um sprint speed so roman quinn is 98th percentile brett phillips is 88th percentile still extremely fast but a lot of, yeah, a bit slower than i was expecting yeah mm-hmm. interesting but yeah. still fast. I mean, Quinn, still Quinn fast. played less games too. You got to go there. That's true. That's true. Um, I mean, uh, Luke Rayleigh, I mean, he stays over Josh Lowe long term. I don't think he's in the Rays' plans. Plus an option. That's going to be, that's really good. Like, he's a guy that I think can play a really good role on the team bouncing between AAA and, and, and the majors. So, yeah, I think he's here until another bat. And we're also only like a month away from the rosters being at 28 again. Um, We had that for the first month of this year. The rosters expand once again. So there is a scenario 
you know, even with guys coming back, there could be other injuries that like a Yu Chang and a Roman Quinn and a Brett Phillips and a Luke Rayleigh all still end up on the roster. I don't quite know how they plan to attack um, the month of September. So we will see. Ultimately, I know like it feels like the Rays are treading water, but they banked a lot of wins early. And even though they've been playing mediocre baseball this month and it feels like the entire summer, they're still in a pretty good spot. Now, it's not a given that they make the postseason, but you can only assume that they're going to get healthier. And so with the additions they've made to be able to tread water, it's frustrating. I, I won't say it's disappointing, but it is what it is. The season's gone the way it has. And I think the front office and the coaching staff have put the Rays in a good enough position to just get to the dance, right? You Like Darby mentioned, look what happened with Atlanta last year. They got in the postseason and they won the World Series. I mentioned Houston in 2020, which I know is a weird year, but they were below 500. They got there. They had the pieces to, to get to game seven of the ALCS against this Rays team. So, yeah, it feels like they're treading water because they are. But when you add a Manuel Margot who was having a career year, a Harold Ramirez who was doing the exact thing he was brought in to do, Wander Franco um, who's been dealing with injuries this entire season if he comes back fully healthy, this is still a very good team, a team that can make a run. Um, yeah, I think uh, – oh, Pete Fairbanks coming back. That's another thing I want to bring up before we take another break. Um, just adds another – High leverage arm to the bullpen and in his save against Cleveland, uh, which he finished off with a strikeout of Jose Ramirez, just that 99 mile an hour fastball above the strike zone, kind of what we've come to expect out of a healthy Pete Fairbanks. Man, it feels good to have him back. And that's a, that's another thing that shows you what what Pete's made of too. You know, high stress situation, wild card opponent. You might see him again. Well, you'll see him see him again in September, of course, but you might see him in October. MVP candidate. What does Pete do? Hunger down three three straight fastballs. Good morning, good afternoon, good night against a really good hitter in Jose Ramirez, especially from the left side. So Pete's back. <laughs> and, and to pair him with Jason Adam and Brooks Raley and, and Colin Poche, which I know is he's had a rough week. Uh, giving up the long ball. And that's kind of always been Colin Poche's MO, boomer bust. He's going to get the strikeouts. But if anybody makes contact, it's going to be hit hard and it's probably going to go a long distance. I'm glad that he's not like one of our top two options in the bullpen, which he kind of was for a little bit um, with the Rays were dealing with injuries. But I still very much like having him in the bullpen. Um, Ryan Thompson has calmed down a little bit. His usage has been kind of, he's been used sparingly. They got Jalen Beeks back. Um, and then you've got Sean Sean Armstrong and, and Ralph Garza Jr., who are just kind of there to fill up the roster. They're there until uh, JT Chargois and JP Fireisen, or maybe even Nick Anderson, are healthy enough to come back. Yeah, right, exactly. Fireisen's, I think, the one that I'm most waiting on. Chargois, I'm kind of lukewarm on. Anderson is a question mark more than anything. What is Nick Anderson now? Um, he was, you know, arguably the best reliever in the game for a short stretch uh, when the Rays first acquired him from Miami. What is he now? Nowhere near that, I don't think. But is he valuable? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It's a good question. And really, I think the, the Rays pitching staff, even with the injuries, even with the 10 pitchers they have on the injured list, 
is still elite. Like it's still top five in baseball, in my opinion. It helps when you've got Shane McClanahan, who's in a, I guess, even more of a Cy Young race now than he was having give up the earned runs today. It's going to, you know, hurt his ERA a little bit. Um, it was a lot of bad luck, a lot of bloop singles, a lot of stuff that he has little to no control over. Um, but you talk about Drew Rasmussen and Corey Kluber and how good have, have those two guys been? Jeffrey Springs. Um, right now you've got Ryan Yarbrough, so maybe the Rays look to add starting pitching because none of the guys, like maybe Tyler Glass now comes back, but I don't think you expect Yanni Torinos to come back and be a starter this year. Um, will be interesting to see, but I'm, I'm still very much of the opinion that this Rays pitching staff is elite. Anything else on the pitching staff, guys? They just got to figure out the blown saves, especially going down the stretch. I think we, I think the Rays are, are fourth most blown saves in all of baseball. They fixed the blown saves. This bullpen goes back to being the elite force that it has been the past three, four seasons. So they fixed the blown saves. You get, get a little bit more length down the stretch out of your starters or even just efficiency, you know, getting guys – not having 20, 25, 30 pitch innings, things like that, you get, you're in a much better spot as far as a pitching staff as a whole. So. If they can just get like a two to three run lead <laughs> in the ninth, that would be great. I feel like every, every game is razor thin and every pitch that the bullpen throws is basically high leverage, like, like one mistake and like, there goes the game and it's a blown save. So I think like just some breathing room would be great. You know, there's there's been a couple of games where they've they've had some some breathing room and they've given it away, but for the most part, you know, it's it's like coming in and it's any mistake, you know, you you are are right there. So hopefully, with a little bit more consistent offense, you know, the starting pitching efficiency, like that bullpen will get a, a nice little bit of a rest to to be able to get some you know easy you know three four run like three four run leads that they can close out. That would be great. <laughs> Let's take one more quick break. And on the other side, we're going to raise our voice about some players we'd like to see the Rays acquire before the trade deadline. And we're back on Raise Your Voice, ready to, to raise our voices once again about this trade, line, trade deadline. We talked about what we are expecting to see or predicting some of the crazy moves that might happen around the league, but wanted to bring it home talking about the Rays. We have each picked a player that we think the Rays need to add. And when I say need, I just mean a sensible trade that makes the team better. Pete Bendix and company, go out and get it done. And then a player that we'd love the Rays to add, a player on our wish list. So we set the parameters where, like, it still needs to be within the realm of possibility. So no Juan Soto or no Shohei Otani, even though those guys are hypothetically on the trade market. It's not going to happen. Uh, but players that are that are out there available to be traded that are not a must-have, but will really make the team better. Um, so let's go around. Elijah, let's start with you. Let's go with the player the Rays need to add before the trade deadline. A player that I feel like the Rays need to add before the trade deadline, uh, there's no secret the Rays are very thin on catching. Um, I would love to see Sean Murphy in a Rays uniform. Uh, fits a profile, handles the staff well. Like I don't, I don't think it would be a major issue with him coming over midseason and adjusting to what the Rays do as far as pitching philosophy and game planning. I feel like he fit right in seamlessly. You know, right-handed bat hits the ball hard. Can give you a couple of long balls down the stretch. 
But my 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 big ticket wish list item uh, is a switch hitter uh, that plays first base for the Washington Nationals. Uh, I would love to I would love to have Josh Bell come over. Uh, sorry, Josh Fleming, you'd have to give up number nineteen. But um, thumping the bat, you know, slugging four eighty nine and five hundred from the right and left side respectively. The splits aren't too wild; they're actually almost almost identical. Um, he fits the Rays mo of switch hitters, um, and he does. He's he's having a he's having a really really good year. I've, I've loved him since his days in Pittsburgh. I feel like he'd fit in seamlessly, especially going down the stretch. So I, I would love to have Josh Bell in Tampa Bay. I want to talk about Murphy a little bit because, well, one, his, you know, catching partner back in Oakland at the beginning of the season is already over here in Christian Bethancourt. You you add a Murphy, and let's assume when Mejia comes back, that allows Bethancourt to be a first baseman slash DH slash, I don't know, maybe you throw him in the corner outfield for a game if you need to. And then um, really kind of opens up the lineup, I think, a lot, a lot more. And Murphy, one of the best defensive catchers in the game, that would be huge. And then talking about Josh Bell, I mean, outside of 2020, which was a weird year for a lot of players, I mean, this is a guy with consistently double digits in walk rate, like has always drawn 10% or more in walks. He hits for power both sides of the plate. Another guy that probably fits into your lineup every day, one way or the other, whether it's at first base or as a designated hitter. I mean, I can't think of a more surefire way to continue to improve your offense um, than adding than adding a Josh Bell. I love I love I mean, both of those. One one more component of Josh of Josh Bell being a wish list item. He he is a Boris Klein. So be a yeah. yeah, yep. Um, but you know, the one forty five WRC plus this year that's a career high. He's got fourteen home runs. I think that would lead the Rays. Maybe Rosario Paredes has fourteen now. Not really sure, but it'd be right up there. Same way David Peralta and his 12 home runs uh, are right up there. It's not like the Rays are a big home run hitting team this season uh, when you've had Zanino and Brandon Lau miss so much time. Uh, but, man, I, I, I love both of those. Darby, do you have any thoughts on, on Murphy or Bell, or do we want to get into the two you had? Oh, no, I, I think both great choices. Upgrading the offense is going to be really big. With Murphy, you do have a good upgrade in the offense, but he's always been such a good defensive catcher. Like, I love watching him behind the plate because he's a great framer uh good pop times just just somebody that like is a a very elite guy and it solves a problem for several years he's he's basically your opening day catcher in 2023 if you do make the trade it would be very expensive but the rays have a kind of a roster crunch so consolidating some of those bigger ticket prospects into one guy that really fixes a big a big issue sean murphy and uh frankie mejia your your catching duo this year down the stretch towards the postseason next year the year after that hey sign me up yeah definitely I think I mean <laughs> I think Murphy would almost go into the wish list category for me I I think that would be as, almost as close to a perfect addition you could make in a year where Zanino's set to hit free agency and you don't he's out for the year already so that that would be huge Darby I'm interested to hear who you've got so my my go out and get. Uh, there's a number of different ways. I, I think bats were really high. And I actually think Peralta would have been here had they not made that trade. I think he fits that role perfectly. So the next thing on my, my uh, not my wish list, but my shopping list uh, that I hope is on uh, Peter Bendix and Eric Neander's shopping list uh, is getting another reliever. 
just another guy that can that can fit that role. You get some guys healthy back, great. Those are nice bonuses, but you can never have enough good pitching. You can never have enough good arms to be able to fill out, uh, especially the way Kevin Cash mix and matches. You know, every there's going to be a new guy potentially closing out every day, and you want guys you can trust. You want to be able to, to mix and match those arms. There's a guy they got last year after a, a, a heck of an Olympic run. He came in, veteran presence, really has come back from injury very well and pitched well for the Rays. He was a trustworthy arm with them. He'd left in the offseason, go Chicago. Cubs are going absolutely nowhere right now. So why don't you just go back, call him up, and get David Robertson right back on this team. He's a, a righty. He gives you, he's had another really strong year for the Cubs in high leverage. He would slot right back in, knows Kyle Snyder, knows Kevin Cash, knows the Rays. Trust the Rays, pick the Rays out of all the teams when he came back from the Olympics, chose the Rays. I think he would he would come right back into this, uh, into that dugout, into that bullpen, and and fit in just perfectly into the back end of this uh bullpen. I, I love that. It, it, it feels very Raysian too, right? To just go out and get the same guy and let him pitch here in the second half for a team that's gonna go to the postseason. So I, I think I think that would be huge. I am curious to hear who's on your wish list though. So, so my wish list item is another pitcher, even, oddly enough. Even though pitching has been really good, you can never have enough pitching. And now that I've taken care of uh, the bullpen, I think we need another high leverage arm for, for October. I'm seeing Seattle go and get another high leverage arm to match up. Toronto's got some pretty good guys, you know, Gosman and, and Barrios for the, the top of that and, and Manoa. I want to line up too. I'm looking over out West, get, I'm very West coast biased. I have a lot of West coast games out here when everyone else over you East coasters go to sleep and I've been watching San Francisco giants been a rough year for them. They got a guy they're not going to need right now. Big lefty Carlos Rodon, who one of the best strikeout pitchers in all of baseball, these last two years, unbelievable beast out there. With the White Sox, White Sox let them go. I don't know what they're doing over there. San Francisco, a pitching factory over there, gets him in there. He's still dominant. Absolute flame-throwing lefties. Going into the postseason, you'd have Shane McClanahan and Carlos Rodon. Somehow, Rodon has sort of kind of slid under the radar a little bit. You know, Montas, Castillo, been the top ticket items. Rodon... I think right now is better than both of those guys. And those guys are great. But if you're looking for smaller years of control, but if you're just looking for a guy on the mound, Carlos Rodon is probably the best pitcher you can acquire to start. And he could be a guy that wins you a wild card game. He could be a guy that wins you a series, throwing him twice and Shane McClanahan twice. He has an injury history, but that's why you're just getting them for a rental. And you're saying... Let's let's just throw high leverage arms at you for those two guys. And then that third one, you could have a mix of Kluber, Rasmussen, Patino, maybe even Tyler Glass now coming back. That keeps your pitching not only elite, but takes it even to the next level. Yeah, that would be I mean, in terms of starting pitchers left on the market, I mean it's him and Montas um, would be like the top ones that are realistically available now that Castillo has been moved. 
that would just kind of add. And I know we talked about how, how effective the Rays pitching staff has been, but that, that level, that comfort level, that peace of mind going into a postseason series where you've got Shane McClanahan, who I think even with his struggles in last year's postseason, or the one bad start really, you'd feel a lot better about him going into this year's postseason, right? Everything that everything that's happened since the, the meltdown in the tunnel at Fenway Park, right? Like, we, we've talked about that. So I don't think you're worried about Shane McClanahan going into the postseason, except for maybe the only thing I would be worried about is his innings total by then. Um, but to add a Rodon and then, I don't know, potentially a glass now, like that, like, and a Corey Kluber who's, who's pitched in, in the postseason before, like, that just really solidifies things. The one, the one little thing with Rodon, as a note, he is technically signed for next year. He signed a two-year contract deal with the Giants uh, for $22 million per year, so two-year, $44 million. He does have an opt-out, though, and he's most likely going to exercise that because he's having another great year. If he has an awesome postseason, if he's hosting the World Series trophy at the end, he's opting out. He's getting a huge payday, one last big yeah. payday for that arm. So. While he is under contract for next year for $22 million, again, if you're the Rays, if he decides not to opt out, awesome. But he's probably being traded not as a 1.5-year guy, but as a half-year rental because everybody expects him to, to opt out and not pick up the one-year $22 Because otherwise, one-year $22 million, the Rays would do that. It's a big, it's a big ticket item. But one year, there's no bad one-year deal. So... That is the one little weird wrinkle there, but he might be a cheaper rental price that could potentially be a, another year. But yeah, maybe he wants to stay at the mecca of pitching, right? I mean, maybe he likes Kyle Snyder and so unlikely, but yeah, I like the thought process there. Uh, I went with a starting pitcher for my a guy the Rays need to add. I played a little safer here. He is on the market. His team's already traded one of their starters there. Kind of in a, I wouldn't call it a fire sale, but they're just a, they're just sellers. They haven't had a good season. And that's Tyler Molly from the Cincinnati Reds. Um, has totaled 104 and a third innings pitched this season. Has a 4-4 ERA, which might seem pedestrian, but you look at his peripherals and they're more in line with what he's been the last few years. He's got a 3-6-1 FIP, a 3-9-5 XFIP. Uh, he's striking out. I just had it pulled up here. 25.9% of batters, that walk rate is at 8.9%. Uh, nothing special, but a starting pitcher that can provide quality innings and replaces like a Ryan Yarbrough in the rotation as things stand. You move things around a little bit if you're able to add a starter back out of the guys that are on the injured list. But I think slots right in to that. You know, he's not anywhere near the McClanahan level, but you look at guys like Kluber and Rasmussen and Jeffrey Springs, just adds another comfortable starter in that mix that just really solidifies things. He's going to take the ball every fifth day. And I, I, I think the Rays need to probably add innings in some capacity. And I think they will. I don't know if that'll be a longer reliever or just a fresh reliever, but they're going to need some help. Uh, I know they're really banged up now, but you're already seeing them start to limit innings for guys like Springs and McClanahan. Um, as they're approaching career highs or already surpassing career highs. So I would love to see a Tyler Malley be added. On the wish list side of things, if we want to look for another switch hitter, and I know we talked about Roman Quinn, and now he's a good chance to, to stay on the roster, but a huge upgrade over the Roman Quinn role on the roster, a guy that would probably play 
almost every day for the rest of this season would be Ian Happ of the Chicago Cubs. He's having a 123 WRC plus at the plate this year, nine home runs, a 361 OBP, 10.4% walk rate. He can play center field, not at the level of Brett Phillips, but you could slide him to one of the corners if needed and you'd be comfortable sticking him in, in left or center. Uh, he's got one more year of arbitration. He's making a little under $7 million this year, so he's got another year of team control. Uh, and has just hits the ball to all fields, obviously being a switch hitter, and would be a guy that with Kevin Kiermeyer being out and with Manuel Margot out for a good chunk of the rest of the regular season, a guy that you can pencil into the lineup every single day and I think immediately upgrades the roster I've always been an Ian Happ admirer, and although he doesn't have this year at least some of the power numbers that he's put up in previous years, I think would be a really, really great addition for this Rays team. Innings either would definitely be beneficial, especially with with going down the stretch. You know, if Molly can give you, you know, third starter numbers, you know, go six, give up three or less, punch out four to six, you know. That'd be huge down the stretch, but Hap would be, again, fits in the Rays, MO of how they do business, switch hitter who can play around everywhere, thumb from both sides, gets on base at a good clip, it it would fit tremendously as well. I've always long loved Tyler Molly and desperately wanted to get him away from Cincinnati um, because this guy has huge home and away splits. Huge. So at home, he has a five ERA and a five FIP. Away, those are down to 350 uh, and 350 FIP and a 374 ERA. This guy is a fly ball pitcher and he has gotten abused by the Great American Small Park in Cincinnati. Like he, he just get him away from there and have some, any of these fly balls not find the outfield. Like just somehow settle into an outfield glove versus getting up, giving up two to three home runs a game. It's just, it's a constant. Like he is somebody that it can be a dominant pitcher. I don't think we've seen the best Tyler Molly yet. And he could be a guy that you trade away. Cincinnati trades away his next location. He could be like, oh, this guy is a legit number two. Uh, the second he gets away from Cincinnati. So I, I think that's a great pickup because what you're trading for is not the best version of him. And I think you get him with Kyle Snyder with the Rays, 1.5 years of control. So you got him for next year as well. I think that'd be really cool. And, and I've always liked Hap. I think he, he's very Razy as well. So a good, good wish list. Another one, I mean, and, and I really only didn't use him because we used him on the last podcast, but Cattell Marte, um, I think is, is like another Ian Hap. And I, I kind of like Marte a little bit better. Uh, but we talked about him last week, so I wanted to touch on a new player. Um, but, yeah, it should be an, an interesting 48 hours. You'll be listening to this on, on Monday, most likely. Um, and by then, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something uh, coming down the pipeline before Monday morning that you'll already know about. So I'm going to try to get this out as soon as possible um, so you guys can listen to it and hopefully enjoy it on your Monday commute as we get ready for the trade deadline. So, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you so much to Darby and Elijah for coming on. Elijah, made your Raise Your Voice debut, but I just want to let you know you're you're always welcome, not only on this show, but anything else we do on the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. Thank you, man. I'm glad to be here. Hopefully I can come on, come on a few more times. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. 
<laughs> for sure. So thank you guys for listening. And uh, if you like what we do here on the D-Race Bay Podcast Network, if you subscribe or follow on your preferred podcast platform, every new episode of Raise Your Voice, uh, Who's on Worst, and hopefully we get to do a big instant reaction trade deadline podcast if the Rays go out and make a big move or two. Uh, that'll be downloaded directly to your device if you subscribe or follow on your preferred fl- platform. Leaving a rating and review is the best way to spread what we do to more and more race fans. As always, make sure to head on over to dracebay.com to check out all of the great race coverage, and I'll talk to you next week.